Sheffield Wednesday against Bolton was thrilling if you're a neutral. And if you're a neutral, why are you watching Sheffield Wednesday against Bolton? This week we learned that Sheffield is the happiest city in Yorkshire, according to a British-wide study of the best places in which to live. We're not in Yorkshire, though. We are in America, and there will be no happy clappers here on another edition of the Owls AmeriCast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. I am not drinking fruity seltzer this week. I'm actually drinking fruity beer, and I am joined by the usual cavalcade of Americans and expats, Evan Skilter, Patty Jones, James Allen, and this week we have a fifth edition, really the fifth Beatle of our group, Paul Owen. Gentlemen, A, what are you drinking? B, how are you feeling? Yeah, feeling very good. Um, Is that because of the alcohol? It certainly can't be because of Sheffield Wednesday. Well, it's it's because we haven't gotten into speaking about Sheffield Wednesday yet. Um, I feel good. I've got actually the same drinks as last week. I've got an Oktoberfest as well as the usual Fireball. So um, halfway through each of them and feeling well. Is Rachel on standby for the next drink? No, Rachel's gone. So once this is gone, I'm I'm finished till the end of the podcast. <laughs> Patty, according to this article from the Star, um, only Harrogate and Skipton, both of which are towns, finished higher in the regional rankings for Yorkshire and the Humber. Do you have any information for us Americans on Harrogate and Skipton? Uh, Skipton is as glamorous as it sounds. Um, and the Harrogate is actually very nice. Um, I can't give you... It's, it's a very old Yorkshire town. It's in the middle of, like, countryside. Um, but I'd recommend it to anybody. Would they finish where? On what league? <laughs> this is the poll of the happiest places to live in Yorkshire. Oh, right, yeah. It's quite affluent, I suppose, Harrogate. So, yeah, probably all happy there, bathing in the basement of pound coins like Scrooge McDuck. I feel like I occasionally see Harrog. Is there a Harrogate FC that gets bandied about on non-league day? I think they're in the Bassett Homes Division Three <laughs> sub uh, subliminal league or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Bassett Hounds <laughs> subliminal league. I, I, I'm, look, I'm not familiar with non-league football, and uh, apparently I should be. So I sh- I'm, I'm going to start paying more attention to what goes on beneath the uh, the Bassett Hounds. <laughs> talk about Bassett Hounds subliminal league. This is a great segue to talk about what beer drinking, James. Uh, I'm I'm actually sounding much more cheery than my beer. So um, I've got a I've got a, a, a local IPA from Connecticut, which I was driving through earlier on. So I was I was local to Jeff, um, but it's Cranky IPA. So it's a, uh, I, actually a I actually have not heard of that one. Oh, is that uh, what's the brewery? It's from Stony Creek. Okay, so um, yeah, I know Stony Creek. I don't think I've had that. So, so the beer IPA says Cranky, but I feel pretty uh, pretty good this evening. So, uh, hey. so let's crack on. It sounds like something Lord Hillsborough should be drinking. <laughs> I think it's something Lord Hillsborough was drinking, albeit his own homebrew version of it, from what I hear. I think Lord Hillsborough sends a batch of his homebrew over. I mean, that sounds like some good stuff. I'll have a word with him. I'm now, for I the rest thinking. of my life, just going to assume Harrogate FC is the Bassett Hounds. Like, that's their nickname in my head. <laughs> in the Subliminal League. Yes. I'm drinking a clown shoes, by the way. I'm drinking uh, on, on midweek. I'm drinking, which is usually against the rules, but I was told that it's not against the rules if you, you're recording a podcast. Uh, clown shoes, pecan pie porter. And it is very nice and very sweet and very strong. Uh, I, I, I should have scrolled further down. Elsewhere in South Yorkshire, Doncaster was 130th and Barnsley 117th. 
Wait, is, that, is that dead last? Don't that's dead last? I don't know how many towns they served. They said that Rother- Rotherham was not ranked as the sample size was considered too small to give a meaningful result. Too wow. small in terms of number of people that were actually happy in Rotherham. Yeah, that speaks volumes. <laughs> oh, you make me miss home. Paul, what are you drinking this week? All right, chaps. I'm. Um, what am I on here? I'm on a. Um, I'm on a Stillwater yacht, which isn't a boat. It's a lager. It's actually a dry hopped session lager. So oh, I've got 70, 75 cans of it because it's a session lager, right? <laughs> I've only got two. For the record, I am actually drinking a Honey Genmai Gunpowder Barrel-Aged Golden Ale from Paradox Brewing Company in Colorado, and there's no ABV statement, so it's going to be one of those shows. All bets are off. That is, we're we're not talking about Sheffield Wednesday and instead talking about beer because i mean because we said we keep it positive this week yeah and the beer is all very good it sounds like it sounds like it is a good we should just do a weekly podcast about what beer we drink i'm sure that's something that seven thousand people do which is more than the amount of sheffield wednesday podcasts out there but this is our second episode yeah we we go again as they say um and we do want to thank everyone on uh twitter and facebook that is left comments or encouraged us or retweeted the podcast out um and of course special thanks to uh, the wednesday week and the owls talk podcast for also promoting us it's you know we're all wednesday aren't we as the saying goes even this week when you know it may be a little bit tougher than some others it sounds like we're at a funeral it's october 18th and there's still four points off the playoff spots <laughs> Well, you know, you know, Jeff. Going back to to what you said about the um, the Wednesday week, as well as I was talking, um, giving us some some nice words. Uh, you know, I also appreciate that. And you know, Lord Hillsborough mentioned that uh, you know it's it's not a rivalry really between us. And I just like to reiterate that from our standpoint uh, at Owls Americas, you know, we 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 definitely buy into the the we're all Wednesday, aren't we? And I uh, just want, want everyone to know that, that we're happy to be a, another voice and, and give you a, another podcast. And uh, hopefully you can, you can tune into all, uh, all the available podcasts in the Wednesday community. I mean, I'm a huge Wednesday Week fan. It was one of my first gateways into the club many years ago. I am, you know, I remember the Beastie era, as it were. <laughs> Still, to this day, can only understand about 50% of what he says. And I've obviously been around Yorkshire accents a fair bit in recent years. But... <laughs> Yeah, Patty, you did How want many... you did want to uh, give us some of the highlights from the feedback. Oh yes, it's my favorite quotes. So uh, I was uh, I was trolling Owls Talk, which is uh, Sheffield Wednesday's finest uh, forum on the internet. Apparently, um, the best quote um, uh, is from actually the Owls Talk chief himself, Neil Hargreaves, which said, "The best new podcast I've listened to in ages." So that was the best quote. Uh, to balance that out, it is our stock after all, and the very little positivity usually. Uh, we we had a quote that said, "It's like listening to the Muppets talk Wednesday." So uh, there you go, Jeff. I think it was talking about you and Evan. So uh, we are now the Muppets of Sheffield Wednesday. Do we just sound uh, like comebacks. Beaker or something? Is that what it is? <laughs> I didn't think my voice was that high. I think Jeff and Evan have a reason to be slightly offended there, Paddy, on the basis that you and I were also part of the inaugural Owls Americast. 
Um, so you've derived from that that the Americans were the Muppets. That sounds a little bit like the uh, the Overlord still trying to uh, to enact a little bit of control over the uh, the revolutionary. <laughs> I, I'd be I'd be interested to hear what which Muppet I am. I, I'd like to know uh, which one I sound like, and and maybe I can start identifying as that one. The very large one that eats cheesy things, Kevin. From what I read. Yeah, yeah. On on my breakfast, cheese is okay. <laughs> cheese is okay between the hours of of you know twelve. PM to to twelve AM, but as soon as you get into the breakfast hours, no more cheese, I suppose. Is that how it works? I will say that those from South Yorkshire should probably not cast aspersions on others' diets in my experience. <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities between Yorkshire and America. I, I really don't uh, yeah, I say don't uh, throw stones in glass houses. Um, so yeah, thanks guys for your feedback. It's really appreciated. Uh, we are gonna uh, try and make it better every single week. Um, and first of all, we're going to dive into the Bolton debacle. Over you, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I get to kick this yeah, lovely uh, <laughs> powwow off. Um, yeah, so I haven't figured out a way to properly, like, I haven't found an amusing sound effect yet to edit out profanity, so I'll try to limit it in this segment to make my life easier in post-production. Uh, I mean, I said it last week, three points, right? Well, about that, um, the first half was one of the worst performances I've seen from Wednesday since, well, I guess, the opening week, probably. Um, like, I honestly threw something in our WhatsApp group, like, is the pitch soaking wet? Because people were just falling down, the passes were all coming up short, it was just sloppy, it didn't seem particularly sloppy on the Bolton side, but Wednesday just played an incredibly sloppy half of football and we can make it all the excuses you want. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get to the, the penalty non-decision for Lee and from really the word go, the ref did not really have a firm grasp on the match, but this is Bolton. They lost eight straight. They're bottom of the table by all rights. We should have battered them. We did not. Um, I think probably the most concerning thing, and I, I, you guys can jump in here, is that the fan base has started to turn on the team, which, granted, they've... It's not the first time in the Carlos era they've booed a team off at halftime, as we all know. Wednesday fans can be a little bit fickle. But it does feel like the tide has turned in a more significant way this week. I'm going to make an analogy here, which I think it's just it's just come to me. So it might be a little rough. So I, I went to see a band on Friday night, and it's the first time I've seen them live after this new album has been released. And when you first listen to something on record, um, you, you, you kind of sometimes pass you by. You might be distracted. You might be kind of just uh, you listen to it, but you're not really kind of living it. When you see something live, you're really into it. It kind of solidifies what that performance and what that music is, right? I think it's difficult to um, criticise the fans that go watch this team week in, week out, when they have to sit through and live through the live performance of Sheffield Wednesday, so to speak. And it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch on TV, but it's ten times more frustrating to watch in person. And you get the, the embarrassment involved, there's the other fans kind of uh, celebrating... There's, there's more at stake when you watch them live every week. So I, I completely understand the kind of toiled out of the pram, 
mentality of going to watch Sheffield Wednesday every week. Uh, I'm not at that stage because I think watching on TV, I'm a little bit, a little bit more removed, maybe a little bit more kind of reflective, I suppose. Um, I think it was a bad performance, but it's not the end of the world, which people seem to be kind of going down the road of. Um, and I still see positives in that game. There's, there's a lot of positives. We played some good football at times. Our final ball is still dreadful. Our, de- our defense. <laughs> That's a big part of the game, Patty. You need <laughs> to score goals, especially with the back four playing the way it is right now. That's another thing, yeah. So I think there's a couple of things we need to address very, very quickly. The back four and the kind of crossing from, from the wings. But I don't think it's the end of the world. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, uh, my, my biggest issue, and in, in we talked about it last week when, when I was the only one that was still in the Carlos out stage, is that the team hasn't been consistent this whole season. And we just came off a big victory against Leeds. And we all knew that. And then we go into to Bolton after a week of rest, a two weeks of rest with the, the international break. And we, we show up and we're just absolutely awful. We couldn't pass the ball like you just said, um, especially in the first half. It was incredibly ugly football. And you, you say there's no reason to panic. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe we'll come out and we'll beat Derby no problem. Um, and, and maybe we'll win that 6-0. But then we'll turn around and we'll lose two straight or we'll lose you know, 6-0 the next day. There's been no consistency, and I think, no, just based on the result that we just saw, there's no reason to panic, but based on the overall body of work for the season, there is reason to to doubt the, this team uh, in its current state. And I think, Evan, that, that's actually, that's why the fans that you're talking about, Paddy, are, are, are beginning to lose faith. Um, and I don't think that that's constrained to the Bolton result. You know, if you go back the last four or five games, we've had one moment of light, which was Leeds, and and really everything else has been pretty pretty dreadful. And and you can understand why fans are beginning to to raise real questions. And it all comes down to that consistency of of inconsistent performances and the fact that we have genuine weak spots in a side that was billed um, as being a promotion ready ready squad. We did seem to have severe deficiencies when it comes to being able to defend down the flanks. Um, and the fact that I don't know if anybody caught the the article, and I think this was in the Star, um, that was focusing on what Phil Parkinson said after the game. He watched the Leeds game and came away from the Leeds game not impressed with Wednesday's performance the way that we all were and that maybe papered over what had happened in the derby the week before. He noticed the fact that we had real weakness down the left-hand side, and he, he particularly highlighted Adam Reach at left-back as an area they felt they could get at. And you saw that with Sammy Omiobi and the way that they attacked down there consistently in the first half. So when the team at the bottom of the table is identifying an obvious layering weakness in your squad, and we have performances that have consistently delivered similar to Bolton, um, whether it be Birmingham, uh, Burton away, maybe the first half against Sunderland, the game at Preston, that that isn't a team that's ready for automatic promotion. It's not a team at the moment that looks like it's ready to challenge for the playoffs. And and that's why I think the fan base is is fairly beginning to raise real questions. And 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 ultimately that that gets focused, I think, more at Carlos than at the players. Although we could reasonably question whether that's the right direction of abuse. It struck me as a little bit funny. I think that uh, sort of the tenor on. Wednesday Twitter and Owl's talk and even the Wednesday week this week was sort of <laughs> I saw it remarked that it, it sounds like we've been relegated and I guess it 
said something that about how far we've come under Carlos that a bad away performance to Bolton feels like relegation when you know we've been relegated three times in the last 17 years like on all of our recent memories the expectations are higher now that's just a a fact of life you know this was a team that's made the playoffs the last two years that you know strengthened in the summer to a certain extent you know had a full season of Jordan Rhodes to look forward to you know proven one and two goal scorer in, in the championship sort of the last piece of the puzzle maybe and just sort of came out sputtering hasn't been all bad there have been good performances mixed in with the bad you know as patty said last week the whole league is wildly inconsistent but this has been a recurring theme in carlos's tenure that we do have a tendency to play down to the level of our competition and like these are the easy points. These are the points that when you look up at the end of the season and you're in a playoff spot or you're in the top two, you can look that you bludgeoned the Bolton and the Birmingham Cities and the Prestons, and they just have not gotten those results so far. And again, it's it's as simple as that. They went against Birmingham and they went against Bolton. They're in a playoff spot right now, and the con- the tenor of this conversation is very different. And it's not even really about you know the terrible performance against United in the Derby. It just isn't. It's, okay, we've been inconsistent, because the inconsistency would still be there, but, you know, we're we're about where we expected to be. Um, and So I think that's fair, Jeff. Yeah, except at the end the of the day, you've got to get the results. I, it, we exactly. don't care if they win. If they had won that game with a sloppy, if the penalty goes to Lee or Rhodes puts away the header and they win a sloppy 3-2 game, We'll moan and grouse, but at the end of the day, it's three points, um, and and that's what that's what counts. You know, it, here's the thing with the argument that goes back. You know, we we've, we've got to remember where we came from, and you know, we're a team that's been twice relegated in the last ten years. That that's all fine, and we should be grateful for the fact that we we're in the position we're in, that we have the the funds, that we have the playing squad, that we have have we've had the last two years. But the factor is, we, we've set a goal, and that goal is promotion. And we've gone close for two years, but we didn't make it this year. That goal is is meaningful and it's real, and yet our performance so far is is woefully under the target. And yes, you know, if we win those two games, then we're, maybe we're in the playoffs. But but frankly, playoff caliber teams would do exactly what we were expecting to see against Bolton on Saturday, which is to dismantle a side that's been leaking goals left, right, and centre all season that hasn't been able to put together a, a victory in the league. The fact that they made us look amateur suggests that we have probably one way of setting up that is very visible to any manager that wants to try and, and really kind of think about the way that they want to play against Wednesday. And, and, and when, game, when teams do that to us, we seem to fall apart. And that, that simply isn't good enough. Um, I know we were trying to start out on a positive point, so hopefully someone's going to come in and ride and tell me why I'm wrong here. But you know, when we set a target, which is promotion, and we, we deliver a squad which looks, at least on paper, that it's promotion ready, that then performs with this level of inconsistency, you have to raise questions about both the motivation of the players, the, the tactics, and, and frankly, you know, everything that's surrounding the club um, to try and deliver that aim. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything better to say or anything that's going to make things better. But, uh, you know, when Chinsiri took over, he had a two-year plan, didn't he? I mean, he, he said by year two we'd be, we'd be promoted. We weren't promoted. Be and up now... for the, the idea was to be up for the 150th anniversary season. Right. And here we are a, a couple matches, more than a couple matches into 
the third year and we're in the middle of the table. And again, you all say don't look at the table until January. Well, look, fine, don't look at the table, look at the results. Things aren't going our way and things need to turn around because they sh- because if they don't, Carlos already under fire. Chancery's under fire next. I mean, he's the one that's holding on to to Carlos. And uh, you know things are already getting getting bad within the the fan base within the club. So if things don't get turned around, all hell is going to break loose. I mean, so uh, you know, I, I have to say that um, you know I've spent many many years on the north stand with my dad. You know, when the game was on, the game was on, and we were there because we were fans. It was dire. You know, it, it was not about performances. It wasn't about anything other than just being there because you were part of that club. Me and my dad would just chat about, you know, the world, put the world to rights while the game was on, sort of vaguely in front of us. Comparing what we're seeing now, it's just completely different chalk and cheese you know what we get now is real competitive football real skills you know we are in the game you know and i think that it's all about the expectations i think the reality versus expectations is the problem i think that we've all probably the worst thing that could have happened and i know other people have said this is that you know in, in carlos's first season we end up at wembley you know we 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 smelt it we could almost touch it it was one goal away you know and we expected to go up and up and up from there and it's you know the game doesn't work like that you know, I think that we're in such a good positive space right now. And I think our squad is getting going to get stronger. Um, you know, and I can only say positive things at the moment about Carlos. I know I know all you lot, are, you know, don't agree with me, but I'm standing by, by Carlos. Um, interestingly, today I was reading something about, um, about Carlos. And it, it was obviously pointing out the fact that he's, he's a head coach. He's not the manager. We don't really know, you know, what, how deeply involved with, you know, team selection and stuff like that, uh, or rather recruiting team selection, uh, Carlos is, you know. Is this the squad that he wanted? You know, it's kind of an interesting question. Um, and the other point it made was, you know, maybe a lot of our players are, uh, you know, getting on a bit, um, on the way back down, a bit more injury prone. And maybe there's something to be said there about their motivation. I found that really interesting. You know, I don't, I'm not sure it's about Carlos or, you know, or Chancery even. Have we got the right players? Do you know, Paul, you, you raise a really interesting question. So <clears throat> I've seen a few people kind of this this week trying to equate the, the situation with Carlos. You know, the, the question of would you fire Carlos now because the results aren't going away with, would you fire the CEO of a company if the quarterly results are down? And the, and the usual answer to that is, you know, you usually give a CEO one bad quarter, two bad quarters, and you've got real questions and three and you're out. And and this is probably Carlos's first really bad quarter after two years of a fairly consistent delivery you know he got us to the playoffs twice and, and, and last week I was you know I was I was heralding that and, and making the point that we, we have to support that consistency but if you think about this in business terms uh, you know a startup that, that achieves rapid growth gets a lot of acclaim but then it has a really difficult kind of stage where it has to acclimatize to being a bigger company it has to get new talent in it has to put processes and structures in place and I just wonder if Wednesday have done that I wonder if you know we we maybe like you said we flew too high too soon and and the the back office um, you know the organisation of the club isn't yet in place and both on the commercial side as you know we could talk about but particularly on the footballing side it very much all stems under Carlos and that wasn't the original plan the original plan was for him to be a director of football with a a team manager operating under him um, so I'm not really sure exactly what that implies but I I do wonder if maybe that leaves us somewhat exposed when it comes to recruitment and the way the team is set up week to week. 
we don't really look at this for the last two years. I mean, there's always the management committee that was set up and really dissolved within the, the first season of Chancery taking over, and no one noticed or no one really worried about it because well, the team made the playoffs. They got to Wembley. They bought in the summer. Uh, you know, Last year went well as well. And now it's kind of like, like who is actually – we don't actually know how they've gotten from point A to point B to point C. Like who is signing – you know, who made the decision to bring in Jordan Rhodes? Who made the decision to bring in Boyd? Like those kind of moves. Like what is the actual – sort of decision-making process within the club. What's the top-down structure? And, like, you know, it's a privately held company. Like, it, I find, uh, you know, British soccer depends on the club, but can be varying levels of opaque on those things in general. And this isn't a way to hand wave, uh, you know, whatever flaws Carlos might have had recently as a tactician and sort of laying out the squad that he has. But you look at the first-half performance, I don't really know how to put that on the manager. Uh, is he maybe a little bit too attached to Adam Reach? Should you know Daniel Pudil or Morgan Fox be tr- be starting on the left? Give them a little bit more solidity in defense, maybe. But he wasn't the one giving the ball away cheaply in the midfield for the entire first half. He wasn't the one falling down on the pitch. I don't know how much you can blame the manager. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of money invested in the players and the sport tends towards short-termism with managers. You don't need look no further than Leicester City uh, sacking Craig Shakespeare this week. And sure enough, Carlos is listed as a 20-to-1 if you want to get a, a tenor in on that to be the next Leicester City manager. It's just... Look, I said it last week. I'm sticking with it. There'll be a lot more episodes of the show to come. The results will either take care of themselves or they won't. And... It's very possible in, in January the outcome of this conversation will be very different. Can I just pick up on that, though, about the who's making decisions, though, Jeff? I think that's a big point to, to kind of uh, press down on, is, is that if we do sack Carlos, who is making the recruitment decision as a, for a new manager? I know two people uh, in, the, in the front office. That is Joe Palmer and Dave Ponchanzieri. Neither of those are qualified to uh, review or interview applicants for a new management position at Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, is there anyone else that is out there that's, that can choose a, a new manager for us? Or is he going to hire in, like he did with the, the beginning of the, uh, his tenure, hire in someone to kind of help him with the process? I don't trust that we've got the right people in place to pick a good new manager. Which is exactly the the point I was making, Paddy, about you know whether we've actually put in place the structure and the organisation within the club yet to to give us a, a credible shot at promotion. And, and and the reason I say that is you know if you look at the structure that Huddersfield had in place, you know a lot is a lot of attention is paid to the fact they had a significantly insubstantial wage budget compared to the rest of the league last year. But what they did have was a very clear footballing plan. Uh, they had a director of football in place, a director of sports actually in the place of Stuart Webber, who hired in David Wagner. And then if you look at Norwich this year, where Stuart Webber's gone again as director of sport, it was him that was in charge of recruitment of the new manager um, and who brought in Daniel Fark from uh, from Borussia Dortmund. So that's the type of individual who you would want to have in place to make that decision, to have that sort of ability to to discern who the right young coaching uh, staff 
man, team manager, um, team coach, etc., would be to to come in place, and and we don't have that as far as I can see. No, that's what's worrying me. That's why I'd almost it's weird the lack of management at a senior level in Sheffield Wednesday is making me almost think it's better to stick with Carlos because I think it's better the devil you know in the situation because if we get rid of Carlos, I don't think there's a plan B yet. I don't think anyone's looking at a replacement. Um, and I think that Carlos will probably get into, into the playoffs by the end of the season. That's I, I, that's what I, I said I said there was we no happy clapping at the beginning of the show. Both of you, everyone <laughs> look, is disappointing me. I mean, I, look, uh, that afternoon after the Bolton game, I put on my New York Owl shirt, went out, went to the liquor store. I was planning to go to the liquor store anyway, for the record. It was not, a, it was not an emergency trip <laughs> off the back of the result of that game, and we just move on. There's, uh, there's another game this week. There's another... I'm sure we'll have plenty to say about this next week, but I think all we can do is uh, move on. Much like the show, we'll move on now. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll have a less somber diversion we will introduce you to another of our american owl supporters we'll continue our series of american sheffield wednesday fans and finding out a little bit more about how they came to follow the owls we haven't run out of them yet it is episode two. We have a few more lined up. We're going to ride this train as long as we can. And this week, joining us all the way across the country from Phoenix, Arizona, is Laura Costa. Laura, how did you become a Sheffield Wednesday fan? I grew up watching various American sports like the National Football League and baseball. And as a kid, I also played soccer in a youth league. But back in the 80s, when I was a kid, we really didn't have access to, like, the professional game on TV. And every four years or so, the World Cup would happen, and I'd hear a little bit about it. But it really wasn't until um, shortly after they did the World Cup draw in Brazil in 2014 that I really thought about watching and so I started finding games and watching them. And it was mostly like the Premier League and the La Liga. But there was this one Saturday morning when I was up at like four in the morning in January 2014. And I was looking through the channels looking for something to watch. And I came across this match, Sheffield Wednesday versus Leeds United. Yeah. And... So I started watching it, and I didn't know the teams or the players. or And I, honestly, I didn't even know there were leagues besides the Premier League in England. So I was watching it, and, of course, we won 6 nothing. And I was about to after, ask if this was a 6 nil game, because it sounded yeah. about right. I have no memory of that game. <laughs> <laughs> what a game to come yeah, It was. Talk about going down from there. It was the six nil, and why Wednesday over Leeds? Um, Probably six. We won six nil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 
Wednesday were the team playing in blue and white, which happened to be the colors that my team wore when I was like, playing as a kid. Also, I had a grandmother who had like owl figurines and owl paintings, and yes. so there was that the connection was too. With the owls, we've got to like get some kind of a grandmother owl kind of. Uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. It was hard to follow at first. I had to follow through the Twitter because I didn't know about Wednesday Player, or actually, I think I found out about it too late in that season. But I've been listening to the matches on Wednesday Player and watching it on iFollow and listening to Football Heaven and reading Al's talk and spending too much money in the club store. Online. Hold on, Laura. If you've been spending money in the club store, then there's there's something exciting here. What 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 have you ordered from the club store? Shirts, mostly. Actually, wow, no bendy not, pencils. Not, not this year's. No, no bendy pencils yet. Um, a flag. I have a you know one of those. Uh, we're on our way back flags. Because at the time we were on our way back. <laughs> wow, it seems <laughs> yeah. such a sweet, innocent notion, didn't it? <laughs> it's a we, long we and still winding are on road. Our way back. We just took a detour. Of course, I can't buy any shirts now, but anyhow, I can get a calendar. <laughs> that is, that so, is the hot rumor. Yeah, you can get a, a 2018 calendar. That is the hottest thing in the store right now. It's the most relevant thing <laughs> in the store right now, too, by the end of it. So, the World Cup, first of all, that kind of like got you into it. Yeah, and I wanted to know more about the players, and, well, I mean... Championship football is definitely the league to watch, then. (laughs) Yeah, I was, you know, like, the Premier League, La Liga. So I'm curious, was there, like, an actual moment in the Wednesday-Leeds match where you just, like, the switch flipped and you decided, yeah, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan now? No, no, there really wasn't. I... I think that moment really didn't come until a while later. Probably not until the summer when the um, failed takeover happened, and I was constantly trying to find find out what was going on with that. I don't think it really hit me until then. You know, once you started feeling like a Wednesday night after the uh, after the takeover didn't happen and, and you were kind of find, finding more information. What, what's kind of defined becoming more of a Sheffield Wednesday fan for you? So over the last, you know, two years, 18 months, what what's really kind of, you know, made you feel part of the Wednesday family? Well, I'm a member. I have a membership. And, you know, meeting people on Twitter and, like, actually the um, Wembley match, too, when I actually met another owl for the first time and the only time so far the funny thing about that is we were watching the match with a whole fan who's who was another american where was this laura this is in america still yeah in phoenix yeah so it was two owls fans and a, and a whole city fan watching the wembley match together um <laughs> And it was actually fun, because, like, except for the result. (laughs) It's not exactly the adjective I'd use to describe that day. Well, until they scored. I guess because I actually met someone else who follows my team. It was (laughs) actually, you know. Do they live in Phoenix, too, or were they just visiting? 
That I don't know. Oh, come on, we the Phoenix supporters group, Laura. We know where this is going. Yeah, so, so I, have a, I have a quick question, Laura. So you are, are you three hours behind East Coast time? Are you West Coast time or Central? Uh, um, well, basically, what about Arizona? It depends on the time of the year. Oh, yeah, they don't okay. do daylight savings time. Saving time. Gotcha. So in the summer, it's three hours. In okay. the winter, it's two. Okay, so a 10 o'clock match here starts at 8 o'clock there. So so most matches start at 8 a.m. for you? Yeah, 7 o'clock right now. Okay. How often do you how often do you get up and and watch? Do you try to get up every match? Well, here's the thing. I work an overnight shift in my job. And so the matches usually start when I right as I leave work on Saturday mornings. Oof. At this time of the year. And during the winter I usually have time to like eat and shower before I can sit down and watch some match and then like 10 o'clock in the morning is football heaven or 11 o'clock in the morning <laughs> so there's a follow-up that- question laura um you know be- being a, a wednesday fan so far removed and, and with all the barriers to you know to following games uh, that you just described have you kind of been able to get to know anything about sheffield and, and kind of the history of, of sheffield wednesday as well the, the kind of the culture and the heritage that goes around the club yeah, I, in fact, I bought the, the book, the 150th anniversary book, and I'm working my way through that. And I've. I mean, if you listen to Football Heaven, how much more culture can you get from listening to Football Heaven? Well, <laughs> I also somehow I've seemed to um, pick up some followers from Sheffield who I don't think are football fans. Ooh, what kind I don't of know, but. What? Just random Sheffield people. Well, like, um, I've read a lot about the history of the city, and the, I know, like, some of the bands, like, Def Leppard and, like, Human League, and... That's awesome, then. So, what do you, how do you think we're doing so far this season? Are you happy with uh, Carlos? I've never quite made it over to the Carlos out camp. I'm more likely to stay keep him for now because the manager does so much with the player recruitment but I'm beginning to wonder if maybe it is time for a change and maybe he has taken it as far as he can and I'm not really sure that now's the time to do that I think it sounds very similar kind of situa- uh, kind of feelings to what a lot of people think right now. It's, it's kind of like, obviously some people are very kind of hard set and, and want him out, but I, I'm kind of in the same camp. You, you, I kind of go back and forth. Uh, I think most of the people on this call are very similar. Uh, we'll probably get into it, uh, or probably have got into it already because we've been recording this beforehand. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's not it's not as clean dry, I think, for most people, is it? You don't you don't really want to. Uh, commit to either in or out and usually when I do commit to one or the other uh, something happens to make me change my mind again so I'm uh, I'm more than happy to accept that kind of probably need a change but I'm not entirely uh, on the full bandwagon yet yeah I'm just kind of game by game I mean I don't know it's 
last last question for me, Lord. Do you have a single a single favorite player that's played for Wednesday since you've started uh, following? Probably in Westward. Um, that's a pretty reasonable choice. <laughs> you can't argue with that at all. Can't argue with that. So, Laura, thanks for coming on. And if you are a Sheffield Wednesday fan, or apparently just a random person from Sheffield, you can follow her on Twitter at LauraCosta underscore 13. Welcome back. It's now time for our favorite recurring feature. I can't even say that out, even though it's only our second episode. Dispatches from American Soccer. And this week it's a little uh, keeping in the theme, which is rather somber across the entire episode. It appears that the Columbus crew, a long-time and very successful MLS franchise, might be moving to Austin. And for the skinny on that, we will, of course, turn to our Ohio owl, Evan. Yeah, so... uh... This, this subject hits a little bit close to home for me. Um, in 2015 or 14, I was a, a season ticket holder for Columbus Crew, and that was actually the year they made it to MLS Final, and it was played in Columbus against Portland, and it, it was just a, a fantastic season. Um, and so it, it was announced this week that Columbus Crew, their owner and chairman, Anthony Precourt, um, announced that if Columbus doesn't let them build a stadium downtown in Columbus, then they would move the franchise to Austin, Texas, which is hell. I don't know uh, how many miles do you think many, there are between many, Austin many, and probably Columbus? Like many thousand. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's, not many. It's far, so at least one thousand. It, it's not like they're going to move them to a different town close to Columbus. It's they're they're moving them to Texas is a different country from Ohio basically, um, and so pretty devastating news for Columbus Crew fans. There are many dedicated followers. They have uh, plenty of support in Columbus. Um, the biggest problem that the management had was that the, the stadium was about uh, 25, 30 minutes from downtown, and there wasn't there isn't much around it really. It's on just basically an open parking lot. There's a home improvement store next to it. There's a McDonald's in front of it. And uh, that's about it. So uh, not a very good atmosphere before and after matches. And so the management thought that it'd be a good idea to move it downtown and have kind of the city life surrounding the stadium and create a better atmosphere. So yeah, that that's the gist of it. And really, it doesn't seem like the owner actually wants the crew to stay in Columbus and we can get to that in a little bit, but Jeff, I'm curious and and everyone else actually as either former employees of MLS or um, fans of other MLS teams, what what you guys think so far. I just think it's such a a bizarre thing that, I mean, I would say it only happens in American sport because it's it's relatively common in NFL and NBA, right? This kind of thing of moving franchises, Around the uh, which I know, as soon as I say franchise, everyone in England squirms. Uh, it's just not a thing that uh, people really kind of get on board with at all in England. Uh, but obviously, it has happened in England. It has happened, it happened with the MK Dons and Wimbledon. I used to, I used to live in Kingston upon Thames, 
And um, after the whole dissolution of uh, the Wimbledon Football Club, they moved to Kingston. So the, the Wimbledon AFC moved to Kingston. So uh, it's kind of that club's very close to my heart. And it's those it's fans you're talking about here. Columbus Crew fans have been around uh, for as long as the league's been around in in uh, the USA. So imagine that your life for the last 20 years going to watch your football team uh, every single week with your friends and then some arsehole says oh we're going to move it to Austin Texas which is not even commutable it's like a it's a good few hour flights away uh, from your current location basically someone's taking their club away from them for good they're not going to continue supporting them because it's not even a possibility it's 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 like someone moving Sheffield Wednesday to Portugal. It's, it's At least not... it's Portugal, not the Don Valley, Paddy. That's, um, <laughs> that's some upside. I've, I've got a question for you, though, Evan, which is, I mean, so I know quite a few folks who are massive Ohio State fans. Um, yeah. and for, for people who aren't familiar, that's uh, that's a college football team in the the American football sense. And what kind of, you know, they, they play 12, 14 games during their, their college season in the fall and that they, they get 80, 90,000 people turning out to watch football on a weekend, which is, I mean, it's just an incredible experience. I suppose the, the question I've got is, you know, that's a vociferous fan base that would never tolerate any threat to the Ohio State college identity. What's the nature of the Columbus Crew fan base and, and you know, are they organising, how, how are they responding to this? Because, you know, I would hope that some of that passion would cross over into the into the soccer fan base as well. Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, Ohio State is in Columbus and so there's definitely a crossover between fans, but you have to understand that, that Columbus Crew has been around since 1996 and Ohio State football has been around since 1920s or 30s. And so... Their fan base reaches across the United States, uh, but you know the, their close fan base, the, the 90,000 fans that go to the, the games every Saturday or, or every weekend, whenever they might play, they're, they're from all over Ohio or the surrounding states, which are Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Um, so that, that expands quite far. Now, for Columbus Crew, I actually spoke with a, a ticket representative uh, in the, the ticket office when I was uh, when I was a season ticket holder, and I was actually the third furthest away fan that that owned a season ticket that season, and I live an hour and forty five minutes from Columbus, so people aren't coming from too far to to go to crew matches. So that the crew have a very local fan base, whereas Ohio State has uh, fans all over the place, and. Again, Cruz fan base is far less established than the Ohio State fan base. Um, so as far as responding, there are a lot of disappointed fans, but the ones that are very passionate about the club are the ones that go every week to the home matches and some that, that follow to away matches as well. And so they're kind of helpless at this situation. Or, uh, sorry, helpless at this point. You know, There's not much they can do. It's not like they can go buy extra tickets and attend matches they're already attending the matches there's nothing else that they can do so it's quite a helpless feeling uh, around the club uh, or the club support at the moment yeah i just want to ask for some context in this i know uh, you said that they were founded in 1996 but that's also when the mls was founded too so yeah yeah it's, it's a weird thing in the american soccer is that the oldest other than like if you're in the nasl obviously in the 70s and 80s uh, that's that's something you can be a little bit older, but the NASL collapsed pretty quickly. 
uh, mainly due to the fact that uh, under George Best's wages and Pele's wages. Um, so the MLS has been going for 20 years, and that's basically the professional first division in American soccer now. So if you've been going 20 years, that's that's pretty good <laughs> in uh, yeah. in uh, in American soccer terms. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's it's, it's uh, the thing you can do. Uh, I know it's all kind of social media kind of. Uh, uh, kind of thing. So, if you want to support Columbus Crew, use the hashtag Save the Crew. Um, we're going to be kind of trying to put our weight behind it too, however small that weight is. Um, but we obviously don't want these fans to be without a team. Uh, so, look on Twitter, look on Facebook for hashtag Save the Crew, uh, and uh, we shall uh, see how this thing unfolds. And hopefully, Columbus still has a team by the end of uh, the year. Well, well, sticking with the doom and gloom, I, I truly don't think that that the social media this this is horrible to say but i don't think that support on social media is going to play a big difference and and let me let me just kind of explain how how slimy this owner is i'm going to tell you a couple things that have happened since he took over um so anthony precourt bought columbus crew the franchise in 2000 i believe it was 2013 and in his contract with the club it said that he could not move the club to a different city for 10 years, unless he goes to Austin, the contract specifically said he could move the club to Austin. That was the only city within 10 years. Um, so he, he paid $68 million for Columbus Crew, which is a lot of money. But understand that a normal um, expansion fee. So if you're, you're in a city and you want an MLS team, you want a new MLS team, you have to pay $150 million. So Precourt, who's not even from Columbus, he's from the West Coast over California or Oregon or something, he paid $68 million instead of the $150 million to buy the crew. He made Austin, the, the uh, a team in Austin, as a Columbus Crew affiliate in 2014, which makes no geographical sense whatsoever. We already mentioned they're thousands of miles away from Columbus. So he started to build brand awareness already down in Austin in 2014. And then Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, continually talks up Austin. He loves Austin as an as an MLS city, but Austin never ever submitted an expansion bid. They never expressed interest in an expansion team like they knew they didn't have to. So, and I know I've talked for, for a couple minutes straight already, and I apologize, but I, I'm going to go on here. It gives me a break Anth- to just drink beer, so that's fine. Yeah, sure. So, beyond that, Anthony Precourt, the owner of the Columbus Crew, he received offers from local businessmen since 2013 to buy most of or all of the club from him. And he continually turned down offers above the $6 million price tag that he paid for Columbus Crew. He turned down those offers. He never made a serious push for a stadium in Columbus. The the mayor and council of Columbus came out and said that they they never really spoke with the team about any significant efforts to build a new stadium. And now all of a sudden, Anthony Precourt says, hey, Columbus isn't building us a stadium, so we're probably going to move to Austin. So this guy, it seems like all the evidence points to since 2013 when he took over, he was basically buying an expansion team to move to a market that he wanted it to exist in and waited a couple years and now he's moving it. 
I feel like we need the uh, law and order music here. Dum dum dum. It's terrible. <laughs> I was going to say, caught out there. But but Evan, what you're basically saying to all Wednesday nights listening to is be uh, be careful what you wish for and be grateful for what you have because uh, <laughs> we we have a chairman that uh, that uh, that wants to do some radical things with the club and maybe has made some decisions that have got a few people offside. But he isn't planning to move the, the whole team to Portugal, as Paddy referenced earlier on, or uh, or nefariously uh, try and engineer a financial. Um, kind of exit package where he makes millions and millions of dollars and takes the uh, the club away from its heritage as well. I will say it yeah. would be easier to get my wife to come to see Sheffield Wednesday games with me if it was on, like, the Portuguese coast. Or or, or in America, Jeff. I mean, you yeah. know, maybe actually the answer here is that we've got to embrace the franchise system and maybe we should start thinking about having, you know, some kind of East Coast Wednesday franchise here. What would we call it? Maybe, I don't know, like, New York Owls? <laughs> Well, I think I think Columbus is opening up, so maybe <laughs> maybe Columbus Wednesday. I think uh, you should start that up anyway as like a Sunday league soccer side. It we'd, ha- uh, we'd all turn out for you on on rare occasion and be, and be dreadful. <laughs> In happier news, the original American Owl, John Harks, will be in action this weekend. The DC United are seeing off RFK Stadium. You know, they're home for many many years. With oh a, my god, that's, that's with, thing is so bad. I, I'm well aware. With a uh, with a legends game, so that's pretty cool. I, is he, I my my one curiosity here is: is he growing the mullet back out one one night only for the game? Well, he's playing with his son Ian yes. Hawks, who also plays for DC United. So I'm pretty sure if I was his son, I would not let him grow that mullet ever again, especially in public. So um, I'm guessing not. But I mean, fair play to the guy. He's, he's showing up for the the last last home game at uh, RFK Stadium, which I'm trying to think, uh, to explain it to uh, anyone that hasn't been to RFK, not just in England or America. Imagine a multi-story car park, uh, just concrete, uh, basically all the way through. There's no there's no kind of uh, vendors or kind of food stands. You look if you get a hot dog stand in there. It is the worst stadium I've ever been to, and I've been to some terrible stadiums. Um, it's 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 got a whole, it's got its own song. It's, it's called RFK is falling down. RFK is falling down, like the London Bridge song. It's, it is terrible. And finally, they're moving away from it. I'm gutted because I was I was literally as of last week I was going to go to the Red Bulls game, which follows this Legends game on Sunday, uh, and I called it off because I was skint. Um, and now I find out the day after I cancel that trip that Johnny Arx is going to be playing in the same stadium before the Red Bulls game. So I'm very upset, but uh, if you are in D.C. or the D.C. area, go and see John Harks play uh, with his son, Ian Harks. It's going to be awesome. I am sure Ignore the stadium. It's dreadful, but go go to it for an experience. Like, a, like you would do a museum or maybe the Roman Colosseum. It's very similar. Uh, so, so, Paddy, before you become a, a travel agent, I, I'm suddenly realising there's probably a bunch of British fans here who've got no idea that John Harks has a highly successful uh, MLS playing son called Ian, right? So he's in his, I think he's in his first professional year now with uh, with Washington. Is that right? He was just drafted last year, yes. So he was playing college last year, but but this lad is the real deal. He's, um, you know, he's he's from what I've seen of him so far, he's you know he's really mobile. He's got a fierce shot on him, uh, pretty much like his dad. Actually, I've seen a few long range goals, not not dissimilar to the one that um, that John cracked in in Derby in uh, 1991. Um, we'll talk about Derby a little bit later on, but but yeah, I mean, this is second generation. Uh, you know, high caliber footballer, and um, I know we spend a lot of time as Wednesday nights talking about the son of another '90s legend. But this one is 
worth taking a look at as well. Definitely. He's a great player. Uh, I'm sure he's got a big, a big thing to front of him. He's like 22. Um, so, actually, he was born in Derby, according to this MLS website. Yeah, checks out on the timeline, segment. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Maybe he went home after that goal uh, in Derby. <laughs> that's when Ian Harks was born. Well, did, didn't John Harks go to play to Derby, ironically, after he left Wednesday? He did, yes, he did, yes. indeed. Sort of so, like the uh, the pro- the prophecy cometh. He uh, he walloped that one in at the, the old baseball ground, and presumably then played at the inaugural game at the nowhere stadium by the train tracks in Derby that they play at today. Yeah, yeah. So so actually, Harksy played um, he played sixty seven matches for for Derby. We say Derby here in the United States. Just so a quick crossover. I actually um, say, I say Derby County, but a a match between Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United is a Derby. At least that's yeah. what I do. It's, it's but that's because you're thinking of a demolition derby, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, certain... there's, there's a whole context of I definitely wanted to drive my car into something concrete after watching that game. So, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. So, so he actually played 67 matches for them and scored five goals. Scored seven for us in 82 appearances, and then, uh, of course, for, for us Americans, we know him best for his time. A couple of years at DC United, uh, and he he just absolutely dominated the the MLS for for the time that he was here and to be honest it just just a quick uh, just to tie things up he played for Columbus Crew for two years uh, here in the United States to finish up his career really I never knew I that. did not know that either he did yeah played before uh, going into management wherever not too far from you as well yeah yeah he he was the manager of FC Cincinnati for a year uh, which is two hours south of me which is actually a team that I despise. As uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a Louisville City supporter. Um, they, they're actually managed by James O'Connor, another Sheffield Wednesday boy, and uh, big rivals, kind of like a, a younger Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday rivalry um, amongst them. So um, yeah, I don't like FC Cincinnati. They got rid of John Harks anyway, so I can dislike them even more now that he's gone. But yeah, that's where he was last. And next Wednesday, do head to the aforementioned unnamed stadium in Derby to play Derby County. The answer to the question, oh, I wonder where Bradley Johnson is playing right now. I thought that was a good joke. <laughs> I'm just going to see if everyone had their mic on mute. <laughs> Uh, I had the mic on mute, but still, I was like, who the fuck is Bradley Johnson? He said he played for, he's like, uh, he's like the uh, ultimate journeyman, lower championship league one midfielder to me, like in my head. Yeah. Yeah. He, he played for Leeds, I believe, for a for couple Leeds, years and also Norwich, Norwich yeah. right? He was uh, at Norwich. Yeah. And to, I have to be honest, when I first heard we were signing Jacob Butterfield, that's who I thought we were signing. <laughs> Which was kind of embarrassing. There were two slick-back, black-haired dudes who, uh, who it turned out that we, we were buying the one who was slightly less regularly playing for Derby. I will say they may, yeah. have, they may be able to rival us in terms of striker surplus. As they have Chris Martin, Darren Bent, David Nugent, Mason Bennett. They got Vidra. And, of course, uh, Sam Winnell. And a guy called Winnell on the bench, right, who can't get a game. Yeah. Oh, we know. He's gone to another team with 17 strikers. <laughs> is he... Uh, is, yeah, I don't think he can play contractually, can he? There's a thing right. in his yeah, deal. Neither, neither of them can play against so. each other this week, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not really the same lineup as us. I mean, we've got Jordan Rhodes, Stephen Fletcher, Gary Hooper, Fernando. We haven't Rocher. got Jordan Rhodes. We haven't got Jordan Rhodes. He's out. Well, all right, fair enough. Over two weeks, apparently sprained ankle. We didn't even talk about Jordan Rhodes in the uh, uh, review earlier on. Those those misses were horrendous. Yeah, they were great. And they he's done that bad. a few times now. And look, and I, he... I I've never played football at a high level, but. For a guy like that, who's who's very very good at playing, uh, to to go on to try to uh, to tie up a match or be a hero in a match like that with only a couple minutes to play, that's got to be difficult, right? That one on the far post where it was kind of a volley, it yeah. didn't even look like he cared. It was just swooped well, it, and it just kind of went over. It was so bad. Do you know what though, Paddy? I mean, so I, I know you're a big fan of Jordan Rhodes historically, and, and and this this isn't going to be a character assassination of him, I promise, because I know that you'd you'd probably hang up and uh, and not speak to me again. But you know, I think we have to look at Rhodes and and see him some think of a symbol of of what's going potentially wrong at Wednesday at the moment right now. So you know, kind of to argue the point, Evan, he, he had a full half on uh, on Saturday. You know, he he came on with plenty of time to influence that game, and he had he had plenty of chances. You know, there was there was the header that that went uh, that went straight to the keeper. There was the the, the volley mentioning Paddy, and on neither occasion did he look like a, a striker that was that was engaged in the game, that was sharp, that was ready. And you can put some of that down to lack of game time, but you've got to ask questions about the motivation of, of a player like that as well, and how we're man managing someone of that talent, um, and and you know motivating him to to try and get it into games like this and, and to make a difference for us. And I, I just don't see see that happening with, with Jordan Rhodes. And therefore, I ask questions about the rest of the squad as well. And, you know, we're obviously not going to have him available on Saturday. So the, the real question is, can we motivate those 11 that do go out to, to try and deliver yet another response to a disappointing defeat last weekend? Well, I'll tell you what, if, we, if they do give us a great response, then, hey, Carlos in. Everyone will be happy and, <laughs> and no one will worry about it, right? It does seem to be the way it works. <laughs> it's going to change our podcast every single week. As, we, as we do every week, though, uh, I will yeah, lean on our English contingent to explain to our American audience what exactly is Derby County. What is the, you know, Derby sure as it is? What is the American analog? There's resounding silence <laughs> yeah. on the basis that, that really Derby is nowhere. Dar- Derby is what is probably the singularly most meaningless city in Great Britain. It, it has zero purpose. It, it's actually it's, its sole purpose is to give name to the county that you just mentioned, which is Derbyshire. And Derbyshire, by the way, is beautiful. That's just to the south of Sheffield. It's rolling hills. Uh, a lot of the Peak District is in Derbyshire. You, you kind of think Maine or Vermont to the north of you in Connecticut. That that sort of kind of pastoral. Uh, beautiful land but but basically filled with sheep and, and precious little else of interest and that's entirely the same situation that we have in derby which is it's it's filled with people who walk around with sheep on their shirts i'm not going to go into the uh, the nickname of the club but but bar that there's really absolutely nothing at all of interest in derby if you thought that the uh, the macron stadium which i incorrectly named the reebok stadium last week in bolton was boring in a car park derby is a meaningless place to be there is absolutely nothing there. And if someone can come back and tell me something different, I'm really, really willing to listen. But I have never found any reason to stay there. And I was there on a train station platform at midnight the other week and uh, uh, promised that, that it was the only place on earth that I didn't want to be at that moment. 
Can I, I, I actually, I am actually going to stick up for Derby here because I went to see uh, Derby versus Wednesday a couple of years ago. And other than the fact that it's about a 15-minute walk from the train station, I had a dad that can't walk and moan the entire time. The actual uh, pre-match kind of atmosphere around the stadium was pretty good. They've got like a outside beer garden where everyone's having a drink and have a good time. There's like a big kind of like music playing. It was almost American like the way that they had the pre-match build up outside the stadium. Uh, and the fans, once you got in there, they make a lot of noise. Uh, the pre, like the the entertainment was good. They've got the kind of they've got the kind of pre-match and post-match build up down pat. It's much better than Hillsborough, put it that way in that respect. Other than the fact it is in a car park still, uh, and it is a, you have to walk through a housing estate to get there, but they do once you get there it, it kind of feels like you go into an event you really got that kind of uh kind of event feel to it and, and they do a lot of things outside the stadium to make it feel more kind of like welcoming rather than just being like in macron stadium and roadblock stadium where it's just basically in the middle of nowhere so i'm going to give him a little bit of a, a heads up um dad wasn't happy because he had to walk and he had to end up the entire match too because we're in the way end but other than that derby i've got a good fan base and they are doing things right. So I'm not going to be too hard on Derby. However, it's also a terrible stadium for us to visit and get points out of because we never fucking win or get anything out of that stadium. So uh, screw Derby. Hey, that's uh, <laughs> that's $6 in the swear jar for you. <laughs> Six? Where did that come from? It comes from me. That's I get to pick. Uh, I've, I've now finished my 9% uh, pecan pie porter, so there's going to be a few more F-bombs slipping out of my uh, mouth. Can, you can tell, Paddy, it's really coming out now, isn't it? We're going to have to have that little red E next to our, our podcast now. Oh, fuck off, Paul. Come on, Paddy. <laughs> no, that's, hey, I'll tell you what. The, I think You're making so much e work for a, me. Yeah, right. Jeff's got to edit this. I think we're not an official Sheffield Wednesday podcast until we get a little red E by our name. <laughs> well, we just got it. I think the uh, we'll just leave at the instead of doing official predi- predictions for the uh, match this week that seems kind of staid and superfluous. We'll just leave it with Patty's fuck off. <laughs> so, any other business? We're going straight into this. Yeah, you're the, yeah, one, you're the one that put it on the agenda, Patty. So I figured you would just <laughs> jump in. <laughs> We've missed that spoiler groups thing. Well, I was going to put that after. All right. So We're already completely out of order on this. We're really showing how the sausage is made here. I figured you would just jump in when I said, does anyone else have any other business? Yes, Jeff. I have some other business. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, so, uh, first of all, um, I wanted to give people a little bit of uh, background into the the exotic lifestyle of running New York hours, because it was quite a kind of comical run of events this weekend for the um, for the Bolton game. Uh, if anyone's visited New York, you know that we go to the bar called the Football Factory, which is downstairs at Legends. Uh, currently, Jack at the Football Factory has about, I'd say, six laptops which uh, run the entire um, operation, as well as many different cable TV setups as well. Now, the laptops... Uh, are provided by the supporters groups now because you can't afford to keep bringing all these extra laptops in for all these extra iFollow accounts. So I bring my own laptop in, I set it up. The back of the Football Factory bar smells like if someone died and shit their pants uh, and then also kind of just slowly 
decomposed over 35 years it is that bad and we drink from the same place that this bar is at so just uh, remember that next time you're all having a, a terrible Patty, this is our home and we love it <laughs> okay i'm just telling you how the sausage is made it's it's not glamorous back there um but anyway plug my laptop in you try to connect to the wi-fi the wi-fi is not working this is there's, there's 10 15 people waiting to, to watch the bolton match wednesday match uh and you start sweating i'm usually sweaty and stressed by the time as we'll get into the bar most of you guys can attest to that that's because there's always some kind of thing going wrong so we decide to hook up to the dunkin donuts wi-fi which is next door so there's a free cable Wi-Fi provided by Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, the QPR fan next to me says, you can use my login. It's my, uh, Paul might remember this, it's the guy's roommate's ex-girlfriend's yeah. parents. Yeah, Something that's right, yeah. It's like 16 times removed, and he's got this person's cable Wi-Fi password. It's like, you can, you can, you can watch HBO, we can watch all of these cable stuff from his roommates all of that would have been better than watching the wednesday game this week <laughs> yeah we could have we could have could browsed we could have uh, netflix and chill but instead we watched uh, wednesday versus bolton on this guy's roommates ex-girlfriend's parents cable wi-fi login so we finally got into the wi-fi it was basically um uh being shown via some kind of dunkin donuts wi-fi it was like eight bit it's like watching with cataracts it was terrible resolution we managed to power on through but then every 20 minutes or so we get uh, a message saying that someone else is using your iFollow account. So this is basically what I'm getting at here from this whole ramble, is that if anyone's out there, and I don't know who I've given my iFollow account to, I don't think I've given it to anybody, but I drink occasionally, it has been known, and I may occasionally have tweeted to some people that my iFollow account details are such. If you are using my iFollow account details, please stop it. New York owls depend on these iFollow account details. Um, so that's I'm just using the uh, podcast to get out a, a PSA here. So uh, please don't use it anymore because it's really affecting the way we watch the Wednesday matches. A plea from the founder of the New York Owls. <laughs> Stop weekend drinking as well, apparently, Patty. Oh, so, so, so let me let me just go over, the, over that again, Patty. So whilst you were you were squatting on Dunkin' Donuts Wi-Fi using some stranger's login to their um, cable, you want to ask somebody to stop using your iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, there is some hypocrisy there, but uh, I'm fine with that. The New York Owls are one of our many Owls America supporters groups, including the Argentina Owls, the Brazil Owls, the New Orleans Owls, the Portland Owls, and the Florida Owls. You can find more information on those on owlsamericas.com. Thanks for the plug. We've also got that was almost an advert. That was great. You can also contact the show through owlsamericas.com or owlsamericas at gmail.com. On Facebook, we're in two places Owls Americas for news and update, and the Owls Americas forum, which we encourage any of our fans in the Americas to join and discuss meetups or anything Wednesday related. We're on Twitter at Owls Americas. The podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Podbeam, and pretty much any other source for podcasting or podcasts. Just search for the Owls Americast. And wherever you choose to download and consume our podcast, we ask that you subscribe and review.
it does help us get out to more Wednesday fans, both here and in England and really around the world. Patty, where can people find you on the internet? Um, they can find me uh, hanging around the back door of Pornhub, or they can find me at what, New York this, Owls. What happened to the last third of the show? That's <laughs> <laughs> what happened. Peak and Pie Porter happens. 9%, that's what happened. Uh, they can find me at New York Owls on Twitter. Fruity uh, Seltzer or, for you next week. <laughs> at Paddy A. Jones on Twitter. And that's about it. And Al's Paddy, from what I heard on uh, on an uh, affiliated podcast this week. It's a lot of Hillsborough who apparently drank more than me on this podcast. <laughs> um, also said I was on Owl's Talk, which is not true. Uh, I am on New York Owl's. James, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, apparently uh, after last week's intro where, where you and Evan came on with your uh, luxurious American accents and I followed you up as the, the first Brit, I, I apparently am the, the most British person ever, according to several people who fed back to me. So uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be online at the, uh, the Englishman in New York uh, or uh, more colloquially, if you want to look for me on Twitter, I'll be at Manhattan L. Paul, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Uh Generally on Twitter, the O Wednesday. That's me. Um, I'll be there. Evan, your contact details. This is very hard. It's like five people. I should probably organize this better. Yeah, that's all right. I'm I'm Ohio Owl on Twitter. So at O H I O O W L on Twitter. You can also find uh, my weekly preview and recap of the week on owlsamericas.com so be sure to check that out usually comes out thursday sometime uh not very organized as far as the exact time but find me on thursday i'm your host jeffrey paternostro i'm on twitter at jeff paternostro because there are not enough characters to actually do my full and very long italian name that's where you can find us the other place you can find us is right back here next week for another edition, the Owls Americast.